I actually still remember the very first speech I ever had to write and deliver in front of people. It was on Donald Duck. That was the topic I chose. I don't really remember what my thesis was on Mr. Duck or why I chose him as a topic or even what I said, but man, I wish I had a copy of that speech somewhere because I bet that it was awful. (laughs) I'm sure it was awful. I mean, it was my first one. And speaking in front of people is nerve-wracking. The fear of public speaking is called glossophobia. And as that infamous anecdote goes... I saw a thing, actually, a study that said speaking in front of a crowd is considered the number one fear of the average person. I found that amazing. Number two was death. (laughs) Death is number two? This means to the average person, if you have to be at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Personally, I think the ability to speak well in front of people, being able to effectively communicate an idea, whether it's to one person or thousands of people, I think that is a major life skill. Communication is a linchpin in our society. It enables us to form connections, influence decisions, and inspire change. There are few skills more important than being able to effectively convey your ideas, thoughts, and or feelings to others. We started this season talking about onlyness and how you can make a dent in the world with your ideas. This episode is here to further equip you to do that to better be able to galvanize others around your idea, to inspire them into action, or at least to help you choose the podium over the casket. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are speaking about speaking and joined by author and master trainer Chris Atkinson to help you become a more inspirational and engaging communicator. My name is Brett Guida. Hey everyone, this is Nick, and I am so excited to be here. Are you excited to be here? Let's start the show. One of the things I do in my non-where-there's-smoke world is coach people on delivering presentations with impact. Sometimes that is workshopping with a team on a big pitch. Other times it is helping someone sharpen and deliver a keynote. And often I am working with small groups on more general presentation skills training. And in these trainings, I will often ask people, what makes a great presenter? And every time, without fail, as they list characteristics, they say, confidence. Confidence, right? Okay, to which my question is, if you feel a presenter is confident, how did they do that? Or why do you perceive that? Because you see, confidence is a byproduct, right? Meaning I couldn't just point to you and say, be confident. And suddenly you would strike a pose. And the whole room would be in awe of your confidence. No, 
Confidence is a byproduct, meaning there are things you can do as a speaker that will make you feel more confident and things you can do that will cause others to perceive you as confident when you are speaking. And the latter, that can be faked, meaning you could learn to deliver a message in a way that other people will think you are confident even if the voice in your head is screaming, you are an imposter. Run away! Get out! No one is buying this. It's sort of like when I was a kid, I thought my parents had it all figured out. But now that I am a parent, I can see that I was probably wrong. And that as my parents were raising me and I was looking at these two grown-ups that I thought knew everything, they were likely freaking out and wondering how much longer they could keep up the charade. That aside, I, I want to go back to that internal confidence, to the feeling inside of you when you are speaking to others. How do you create that confidence? Years ago, I was at an event, and I believe it was businessman and scholar Marshall Thurber who said it, something that I loved and I've used it ever since. Confidence is tying your shoe. Whoa, what? Confidence is tying your shoe. I mean, unless you grew up in Velcroville or exclusively wearing Vans slip-ons, you are probably pretty confident that you can tie your shoe. So why is that? Is it because you have a master's degree in shoe tying from Lace University? Go Lace you! Or because you look in the mirror every day, repeating affirmations and telling yourself that you can? Now, my whole house is great. I can do anything good. I like my school. I like anything. I like my dad. I like my cousins. I like my aunt. No. You are confident that you can tie your shoe because you've done it thousands of times. Experience. You see, confidence is not some woo-woo thing. It's a byproduct of knowledge, preparation, practice, and experience. And while people will move through that process at different speeds, there is no way to bypass it. I've, I've been in conversations with people where speaking or presenting came up and they've said something along the lines to me of, well, yeah, of course you can do this. I guess they're gleaning something from who I am in the moment, or maybe they know some of my history, which includes being a theater major and singing in bands. But those of you who have been listening to this show since its start might remember our caring episode, where I spoke to my drama teacher from high school, Mr. Powers, and I shared that he really had to push me through my fears and onto stage. One of the people that I would say is a, a pivotal force in my life is my high school drama teacher, you know, mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. someone who, um, you know, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and right. thrust me on stage. And I mean, truly, I, you and I probably wouldn't even be speaking right now if it wasn't for him. I was petrified and afraid of being judged, laughed at, not good enough. And, and that didn't just exist in my desire to act on stage. Remember our episode on courage and my history of talking to, well, actually not talking to women in bars? <laughs> run away, run away! I wasn't exactly the bold, confident type growing up. And frankly, I am still shy and excessively self-conscious in situations where I don't know anyone in the room and it's on me to mingle and meet. But that said, 
Yeah, I got to a point where I was more confident speaking in front of people. And that confidence came from the experience of just doing it, clocking hours, acting in front of people in plays, singing on stages, busking on streets, all uncomfortable. But slowly I found the ability to be in the discomfort and eventually to perform through it. So that's one albatross I sort of tamed along the way. But like most skills, communication has many seabirds to um, stay with the analogy. So even that confidence I built proved to be a blessing and a curse when I started my career in speaking. I started as a facilitator, leading courses in personal development and leadership, and it was critical for me to be authentic. But that was not how I showed up. When I first started facilitating, if I felt like I was losing an audience, what I would often do is start performing. That was sort of my comfort zone. And I could always make people laugh. I could always get people to like me. It's actually pretty telling that as I share this with you, I call them an audience. We're not an audience. No, orphans, you are not. See, the issue with that was it was not my job to get them to like me, to entertain them, to perform. It was my job to facilitate their experience, to help them look at themselves, to engage with them, to connect. And what I was doing was not building authentic connection. I discovered the hard way that there is a difference between authentically presenting and performing. Reflecting on my journey, I often say to others now that a lot of being a great presenter is just getting back to being yourself in front of the room. We are at our strongest when we are most being ourselves. But that is not always an easy thing to do, especially when all eyes are on you and you are feeling the heat. Because what happens for most people in those situations is they become sort of a presenter version of themselves. And it usually either sounds sort of robotic and cold Hi everyone, I'm Brett. I'm here to talk to you today about or over the top and artificial. Hey everyone, my name is Brett and I am so excited to be here. Are you excited? You suck. And neither of those create connections or are very inspiring. So how do we get back to being ourselves and better inspire others? Well, We'll talk a little more about that after the break. Hey, everybody, this is Nick. Hey, it's Brett. And uh, we had a different plan before we started recording this mid-roll. That's what this is, the mid-roll. Yeah. Uh, but then the last minute, we had this thought, like, let's forget that. We we don't want to tell you anything. We just, we just want to ask you a question. What do we want to ask them, Brett? Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you, we kind of laugh, like, how do I phrase this? But I'm like, what do you want? I feel like uh, I'm Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I'm Ryan Gosling in the notebook right now, Nick. What do you want? What do you want? What do you I want? Was- um... <laughs> 
we want to know what you want, guys. And so to sort of elaborate on that quickly, like, you know, we talked about this idea of where there's smoke 2.0. We want to create more community. Um, you know, we'd love to have you guys featured in the show. We'd love to do bumps where we talk about stuff you're passionate about. Uh, we'd love to have some guests on digs. We want to do meet out meetups out there in the real world, but also the show itself. You know, do you like the yeah. show the way it is? Uh, do you is there something different you'd want format wise? I don't know, Nick. I, I just feel like yeah. we want to be of service to our listeners, and I don't know how often we hear from our listeners about what they want. Maybe they just want us to stop talking to them and just produce episodes so they can yeah. listen to them, enjoy them, and they don't want anything else. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to know. Well, yeah, and that's that's a fine outcome. Yeah, and, and yeah, really, it's just about. We, we work very hard in this show. We've got one of the great benefits of this season. We're getting to work with a lovely team of people. So that's like a little bit of engagement with with former listeners. I guess I'm hoping they still listen to the show. Uh, we just want to get a sense of what would be most valuable as we try to do a little bit to like make a positive impact, a small little dent on the world. How could we help facilitate that with those of you who are listening to the show? Yeah. So if you could reach out to us, connect at wherethersmoke.co or, you know, you can direct message us on Twitter or Facebook and just sort of let us know how can we help you? How can we be a service to you? Or what is it that maybe you want from the show uh, that you're not getting? Or maybe you're getting it and you just want to let us know to keep doing it. But we would love, love, love some feedback and love, love, love to hear from you about how we can serve you guys better. I think we did it. And that think, was it. That was okay. It was good. All right. Thanks. If we were to pick just one element that most affects our ability to impact others through communication, what do you think it would be? Well, a few years ago, business researchers Zenger and Folkman analyzed the behavior of 30,000 managers as seen through the eyes of some 300,000 of their peers. They were attempting to identify what makes a bad boss. What I hate about you, you really suck as a ball. You're the looziest, jerkiest, and you're dumber than applesauce. And from this data, they identified 10 fatal flaws that contribute to a leader's failure. The number one flaw? Failure to inspire due to a lack of energy and enthusiasm. That was, in fact, the most noticeable of all their failings. Their failure to inspire. If there was one thing to emphasize, it's like out of everything they could have found, they found that the fatal flaw, number one on the list, was a failure to inspire. That is speaker and author Chris Atkinson. His background is in psychology, and he now speaks, writes, and trains on the subject of engagement in particular. In his words, And my passion is in working out what makes people tick and how we can really tap into other people's enthusiasms. I wanted to bring Chris into this exploration as he is both one of the most skilled presentation trainers I know, and his book, entitled How to Engage and Inspire Audiences, is the most complete and applicable book I've ever read on the subject of how to become a more inspirational and engaging communicator. Now, we could talk about any number of skills connected to presenting, but for this conversation, I wasn't interested in talking about how to use your hands. I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, it'd be good just to hold them down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. Or how to structure a story. If they try to just tell you about the end, redirect them back to the beginning and say, whoops, 
You forgot to tell me what happened in the beginning. Or even Chris's controversial expose on the proper way to peel post-it notes. Oh, you're crazy. Am I? Or am I so sane that you just blew your mind? <laughs> For this conversation, I thought we'd dig into the meat of what moves people. Inspiration. The word inspire comes from the Latin inspirare. Sperare meaning to breathe, and in implies into. So to inspire is to breathe into. In the realm of communication, I guess we could say it is our ability as communicators to breathe an idea, a belief, a thought, an intention into others. My question to Chris was, do most people understand what it means to be inspirational or how to inspire others? I think we know exactly what it feels like. We just don't know how to do it. It's in my work, you know, um, I often end up training people on this topic. And I reckon every, maybe every other course I run, someone will show me the Al Pacino Any Given Sunday speech. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. This classic Hollywood motivational bit, and everyone sort of gets that somehow this is inspirational, but they're not, um, they're not like a sports team coach. And actually, if we try and stand up and give the big rousing motivational speech, as Al Pacino might in the Hollywood movies, it, it isn't going to work. It's, it's not right. <laughs> now, I'd be remiss here if I didn't mention that we used that Any Given Sunday clip in the very first episode of Where There's Smoke that Nick and I produced, which just means that even I am guilty of that go-to move. But maybe it isn't all our fault, because while posters tell us that beautiful minds inspire others and that it's time to inspire, and people say things to us like, you need to inspire them, or be inspiring, or go out there and inspire people, rarely does anyone tell you how to do that. The how is, is almost completely absent in all of the inspirational material you get, because the material is designed to inspire you. It doesn't actually tell you how you're meant to inspire others. So the, the starting point for the how is to recognize that inspiration is nothing more than a feeling. It's, it's, it's an emotion. Okay, I, I was looking for more of an emotional connection. So the how do you inspire someone, if you want to boil it down to like the bare bones of what it is, is when I cause an emotional reaction in you that affects you in some way. That's basically what inspiration is. Okay, but hearing that, some of you might be thinking, yeah, like Al Pacino's locker room speech in any given Sunday, right? I mean, that felt inspiring to me. Well, it might have. But first off, Chris isn't saying that speech isn't inspirational. Just that copying someone else's words or approach isn't how you will inspire others. 
but also it seems important to sort of separate manufactured inspiration, which we've definitely been guilty of on this show a time or two, from genuine, sincere moments of inspiration. I still think that it can be manipulated in people, as, as we see from movies and from television reality shows where the the orchestra swells up in the background as someone tells you a, a sad story of the hardships they faced in life. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. That to me is still a slightly manufactured version of inspiration in the same way as I think people can sort of cynically do that with, with motivation. And that, that I believe does wear off equally fast, but, but true inspiration, you know, not manipulated inspiration will, will last longer and have a more profound effect. It, I mean, life-changing to some people, you know, and a moment of inspiration can, can change the way you view everything from that point onwards. So what is true inspiration then? Where does it come from? Well, that kind of goes back to our discussion earlier in the show. It comes from you. You have to let people see who you are. For me, it, it comes down to we are being fed a lot of inspiration via the media. right? So a, a lot of what you consider inspiration to be it's likely to come from television shows or TED Talks or, you know, these big characters on stage doing something amazing or talking about something incredible that's happened in their life. And that can make this feel like a, a huge subject in which to be successful, I have to have like bucket loads of charisma or some incredible life story to tell. And I guess the message that I'm wanting to get across here is don't get overly influenced by that media version of what inspiration is. Right? It, it's not about the big extroverted characters. It's a function of how authentic you are, how inspirational you are, your capacity to inspire others is about how much you're willing to risk of yourself in the way you communicate, right? It's the extent to which you can kind of speak from your heart and how much of you you're prepared to put into that communication. This is not an easy thing for most of us. It's scary. Remember in our season premiere, Nilifer Merchant shared a study that showed that 61% of people hide themselves at work. The challenge that comes to a leader, therefore, is if I want to create an emotion in someone else, like the basic blocks of that is I myself have to be emotional. Right? And then we ask ourselves, in business culture, how acceptable is being emotional? And if you do see emotions, what emotions do you see in business? And my guess would be the most common emotions are probably like, anger and frustration, which are, which are probably not the most effective ones to try and inspire action. But 
the emotions like passion um, and or, or you know some somebody deeply caring about something or being moved by something or even being uh, moved to tears about something, you know, is that acceptable in business at the moment? It's, I don't know if we see that in our in our organizational cultures. So I asked Chris if he had an example of this that he could share, uh, a story or a situation he's seen where someone chose to be authentic, chose to not hide themselves. You know, even where on the surface it might have seemed crazy or scary or that it would never work. And yet by showing up and being real, as Brene Brown might say, they inspired others. Yeah, I've, I've got so many of those stories over my career. Like, li- I mean, literally lo- loads of those because something like uh, something almost magical or transformative happens to people um, when they drop masks because it's not okay to, to do this in business, really. We, we almost play a slightly clinical role where, where we tend not to show the kind of emotions that you would show in your private life you know we don't even show the the joy or the passion that that we would really show in our private lives and when we do drop those masks and kind of some really amazing things happen so i i was working with a packaging company about a little over a month ago and a guy was trying to give a talk about the importance of health and safety. These are messages which are heard day in, day out on site. I'm guessing that people are probably pretty bored of hearing about wearing the right protective equipment and following the right procedures. And I just challenged this guy. I said, tell us, like, why does it mean so much to you? Why is this so important? And he gave me the normal kind of commercial answers, you know, safety of our workforce. And I said, no, what, what, for you. Why is it so important? And he said, well, let me tell you what happened when I was a, an apprentice working here. And he went on to talk about when he was uh, in his early stage career, he was trying to fix a piece of machinery whilst it was still operating. And he thought that he could kind of just get in and fix it without having to stop it because if he stopped it, he would get like shouted at. And his clothing got caught in the machinery and his arm got dragged into the machine. And as he was telling this story to us, uh, I mean, I don't know how many years ago, but this was more than a few decades ago. um, This guy was actually properly welling up as he was telling us that story. And you could see him visibly touching his arm. And he went on to say that he had to have uh, some uh, operations to try and sort of correct the damage done to his skin. And he doesn't talk about it because he's embarrassed of it. And he was embarrassed to kind of how emotional he got. He was in shock that, you know, I don't know what it is, 20, 30 years later, he can still um, almost be moved to tears to describe what happened that day. But I tell you what, I had about 15 of his colleagues in the room. They heard that message that they've probably heard 20 or 30 times over on site. They heard it very differently when he spoke that way. They understood his passion very differently and I imagine if I was a member of his team and I was getting frustrated at this guy like nagging me the whole time put the goggles on wear the proper gloves turn off the machinery before you do it I might appreciate somewhat differently where he was coming from 
if I had heard him share that story with me. So I, I have no idea why, you know, why it is so embarrassing for us to kind of reveal these parts in, in business. But when we do, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. We talked about vulnerability in depth way back in season one. Remember Superman's flaw? People won't follow Superman. I mean, they want him around for protection, but they can't relate to him, understand him. So it takes courage to be vulnerable and in turn inspire. But perhaps we could get a bit practical about it too. I mean, if someone asks you, if, if people listening right now are saying, well, how do I do that? I mean, it's, it, like you said, it's not an easy thing for us to say, all right, so here's the takeaway, everyone. Drop your masks, right? It's like, well, like, so where, 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 when you're training someone or coaching someone, where do you start? I'll give you, I'll give you my three routes to inspiration. These, okay. these are the three things that I outlined, I outlined in the book. And these were the three most straightforward things that you can go and do. The first is to tap into the power of empathy, right? We are, we are hardwired to care about other people in some way or in some form. So if you share stories about emotional things in your life, people will feel something of what you're feeling in that story. Right? Now, you have to make sure the story has a purpose. You don't just want to stand in front of people and tell them a, you know, a sob story or, or some you know, incredible event in your life. Um, the story has to have a purpose, but if you can find a story that aligns with something you're trying to say to people, you can use empathy. And that's, that's probably the, the most straightforward. The second route is to tap into desire. And we know desire is a, is a powerful motivator for people and can definitely inspire people to action. So the question is, um, how can you paint a picture of like a future reality that you believe heart and soul in. Right? And the clearer you can paint that picture of what you hope for in the future, the more likely it is that people are going to be able to visualize what it is that you're talking about. So you can kind of tap into desire as a second route, but you yourself have to really go there. Heart and soul have to be bought into that picture. The third route, I nearly dropped from the book, but I, I had to leave it because when I did the research, so many people spoke about it was fear. Run away! Run away! Fear seems to inspire people to act. Now, how, how we can recommend that you or your listeners use fear, I think we have to be very, very careful about the intention and the way in which we do this. But one thing I know is when people um, really understand the consequences of decisions they're making and where they go, sometimes uh, fear can be a very strong factor to inspire me to change. Um, health, health risks are obvious examples. Lots of, lots of campaigns that have existed by governments have been trying to tap into um, the impact of health. That's a, that's a, a fear-type response. But I've also seen leaders really sharing with people the brutal facts of where their organizations are and what needs to happen and that sort of raw honesty 
has really inspired people. Inspired people who, who want something different than the future they're heading towards. So my, my three were empathy, desire, and fear, which basically translate as tell more stories, paint vivid pictures of where you want to be in the future, or you know, give people the, the reality of what might be the consequences if we don't change. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, to dare is to lose one's foot momentarily. Not to dare is to lose one's self. It takes courage to be inspiring. It requires you to be vulnerable. You have to put yourself on the line. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that itch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. <laughs> Just kidding. Look, as hard as it can be, just be yourself. You know, growing up, I was often the center of attention. And I didn't mind attention. I didn't mind it because I was wearing that mask of performance. But as I grew into my own skin and I realized that I wanted to inspire others as others have inspired me, I had to drop that mask, at least at times. I haven't always been successful at that. But just last week, I chose to drop the mask and share where I was at with people. Communicate from the heart. Right in the middle of writing this show, actually, which probably wasn't a coincidence. And the impact was amazing. It facilitated connection with people in my life in a way I haven't felt in months, maybe longer. So... Give it a shot. Just be yourself. You know, if you're so inspired. I want to thank Chris Atkinson for taking the time to share his insights with us. If you're interested in being a more engaging and inspiring speaker, I highly encourage you to pick up his book. You can find it through its own website, which is corporate-energy-book.com or search for it on Amazon. It is entitled How to Engage and Inspire Audiences. Again, it is the most complete book on the subject I've ever read and the value per page is off the charts. Chris also suggests you follow him on LinkedIn, where he publishes articles fairly frequently on the subject of engagement. He also has his own website, chris-atkinson.co.uk. That is chris-atkinson.co.uk. And finally, if you appreciate Chris's lead from the heart approach and you run a corporate team or company or you work in L&D, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the work that Chris does with strategic leadership, where he is the managing director of the UK. 
SL works with business teams, putting people at the heart of strategy and combining conscious leadership with strategic acumen. Their work has literally transformed cultures at major global brands. You can find them at strategicleaders.com. Who's starting, Nick? Are, are you starting? Or am I starting? I'll start. Are you starting? Okay, you start. Sure. All right. <laughs> this is me starting. Ready? <laughs> and welcome to WTS Digs, the part of the show where we, Brett and I, this time, just the two of us, we share the things that we like, the things we love, the things that are inspiring us, the things that are distracting us, the things that make us get through what is becoming our shorter and shorter days. That's what this is, WTS Digs. Now, uh, Brett. Yes. We, we had a Digs. Last time that we cut, we did for time. Canadian, a very, a very special Canadian digs that we unfortunately had to cut. So one day, I don't know. Somehow we'll get it out there because I really liked my dig. I, like yeah. I was I, all right. I, we'll get out there. Maybe we'll, we'll wait for some sort of random Canadian holiday, like even Boxing Day. America doesn't have Boxing Day. We do not. <laughs> it sounds made up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what are you digging this week, Brett? All right. So uh, I sort of waited for this dig because uh, it just released on Netflix, I believe today, the 17th. Uh, I am not talking about The Punisher, though that also came out today. You don't mean Netflix. the 17th. You mean the 21st or whatever? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're today. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm living <laughs> in the future right now. Right. Um, I am digging a documentary that is now on Netflix. Uh, I saw it at TIFF in September, so the Toronto National Film Festival. And the full title, to give the full title, is Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. Uh, Mm. That is the full title. Uh, But people will probably call it Jim and Andy or Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. It is a documentary about, it's a behind-the-scenes sort of documentary about when Jim Carrey played Andy Kaufman in the movie Man on the Moon, which at this point happened about 20 years ago. And when the movie was filmed, uh, there sort of was this, I guess you could sort of say rumors or people talking about the fact that, you know, apparently Andy's girlfriend was recording stuff behind the scenes and they were making some documentary. And then it sort of just went away. And it turns out this footage has Jim Carrey's had it for like 20 years. And he sort of out of the blue called Spike Jones and said, I want to do something with this. And Spike got this director on board and uh, they made this documentary now. And I think it's sort of a blessing that it took this long to make because I think if it had come out sort of, you know, right after the movie or in the few years, it wouldn't have sort of the same, I think, effect it has now. Plus, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, the interview that's done with Jim Carrey, because basically the movie is made up of sort of footage of Jim, of Andy Kaufman's life, a ton of footage of behind the scenes of the movie, and then Jim Carrey doing an interview sort of today, right, or modern times. And I can't, I don't know what to say except just watch this movie. It's probably not what you expect. What happened on the, basically Jim Carrey went into like super meth, I mean, he basically be, believed he was channeling Andy Kaufman and, and, all this stuff happened behind the scenes of the movie where Jim was basically being Andy Kaufman. And then the interview with Jim Coff- uh, Jim Carrey in Modern Times is is really interesting because the movie sort of somehow ends up being an, sort of an existential look at just kind of like who we are and what life means and how we pass through this world. It's, it's really, really, I really, 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 really enjoyed it. So uh, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond on Netflix, highly recommended. It's my dig. Uh, what about you, Nick? What are you digging? Well, well, I remember when that trailer came out, I was like, oh, like we're going to have to definitely watch this. Um, I have my feelings about Jim Carrey, but we can <laughs> save those for another day. Um, but I'm definitely going to watch that, so I'm glad it's there. Now, what am I digging? So sort of as a hat tip to my dig that you haven't heard from the Canadian episode, 
Uh, I'm going to dig something that I've actually done a dig for before, but I feel like now is a good time to revisit it because I just did. And it is the season finale, the season four finale of a show by a Canadian. It's a show called Nathan For You. Now, the season four finale is... So if you don't remember, Nathan For You is a show about a guy who did okay in business school who makes these really complex... Um, business loot. He's like, it's like a show you'd see like Bar Rescue or The Profit. He's like, I'm going to fix your business, but it always ends up being overly complicated, but somehow reflective of a, of a, an interesting point. The season four finale of Nathan for You, which could serve as a series finale, we don't know, is actually like a stunning piece of work. I read a review that the first sentence said, Nathan for You is as good as The Wire. If you watch the whole thing, the, the thing that is created, once you get to the end of this, you're just like, what? I don't know what I'm looking at. There's a sense of like what's real, what's not, what are we saying. Um, I don't even want to tell you about the finale because it's just too much. So Nathan View is a show on Comedy Central. You should, uh, Brett, you've watched them, right? I've I've watched it, and and it's interesting because I saw a few tweets sort of flying around Twitter recently, oh, okay. and I was like, oh, he must have done something pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's... I kind of felt because I I haven't watched. I, I saw most of season one, I think a bit of season two. So my question to you, just in what you just said, Nick, which I thought you said, you know, the thing he does at, on, in this episode is sort of like, whoa, you're, are you implying sort of, whoa, if you've watched the entire arc of four seasons or whoa, if I just go watch that episode, if I've never seen him? I think it helps for you to check in with, if you go look at like highlight lists, like watch a few episodes. The first season is very much like dumb Starbucks with season two, where he just made a Starbucks um, but called it dumb Starbucks and then like yeah. used like uh, parody free fair use law to kind of get around it. Well, and this is sort of the interesting thing, right? Is there are people out there who you've been talking for the last three minutes or whatever or two minutes and people are like, I don't know who this guy is, but they probably remember when the dumb Starbucks thing happened <laughs> yes. or when he faked. What was it? The pig that saved the. The, yeah, was it, uh, somebody from like a pond. He faked yeah, a, a viral like, video. Like, yeah, he made a viral video. He faked a viral video of a pig, I think, swimming in and, and rescuing something from a pond. So you, 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 as you watch the show, you'll be like, oh, wait a second. I sort of witnessed that in the real world, but didn't yeah. really know what was happening behind the scenes, right? And the show starts off as these like stunt things and this business stuff. And then it turns into this exploration of like loneliness, like over time. It's really interesting. It's, he's uh he he really is brilliant and it's a and it's a really great show and it's sort of a mix of a yeah, lot of different things in our culture right now like yeah sort but of, google calls it an american docuseries which is not it's on comedy central it just by the end of it you're not sure what's real you're not sure what the people who are recording with him know is real like so you don't know if he know like there's just so much <laughs> unknown that it is fascinating. So anyway, Nathan, right. for you, I've talked a long time. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm going to dive back in. So now, because like I said, I haven't watched it in a while. So I might even sort of warm up with a couple episodes. Yeah. And then I'm going to dive into that season finale and see if I can understand what Nick's talking about. <laughs> um, so as always, guys, we want to know what you're digging. Uh, we love hearing about it. So let us know sort of on uh, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever. If you go to our website and you leave us a voicemail on the on the Voice Pipe app, uh, we might even play it on the show or we might even call you up and say, Hey, just come be on You're WTS our new Digs. Best yeah, friend. yeah, come on, come be on WTS Digs with us. Who knows? So please do that, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. 
Before we kick off the credits music, just a reminder to everyone that the Tragically Hip Lyric Contest runs until November 30th. I weave lyrics from 12 Tragically Hip songs into our last episode, Ahead by a Century. Find as many as you can and email us at connect at wherethersmoke.co with the song titles and the lyrics. The grand prize is five Tragically Hip albums on vinyl or $150, and there are also other hip-related prizes for the next four closest entries. Okay, music please. Speaking of that hip episode, some shout-outs to the people who shared it online. Musician Dave Bedini, whose words were also included in the episode, thank you. As well to Jeff Rydell, Dave Summers, Burton Family, at Trina C.A. Wood, at Adam G. Steele, Mark Bussey, and Chris Gange. As well, a shout-out for engaging and promoting Where There's Smoke over the past few weeks goes to at Akron EC and Molly Hungerford. On that note, the biggest thing you can do to help this mission wrapped in a podcast is to share the show. Did anyone come to mind while listening to this episode? Do you know someone who's working on being a better speaker, presenter, communicator, or maybe just tying their shoes? If so, text or email them right now or share the show on social media and tag them. We got a new review from M. Sandy in the United Kingdom. It is titled Wonderful Magical Podcast. It goes on to say thought-provoking fun self-development that doesn't feel like self-development. And it includes a turtle emoji. So that's pretty rad. If you've yet to write a review of the show on iTunes, please consider doing that. Those reviews really really help our exposure on iTunes and they help us to attract new listeners. Where There's Smoke is prepped, practiced, performed, presented, energized, manufactured, written, recorded, and edited inch by inch from genuine moments of inspiration by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. We are supported by our incredible team of Dylan Davis, Kristen McMullen, and Teresa Ward. As mentioned in this show, I'm a keynote speaker, presentation trainer, coach, and I work with teams around the world on culture and communication. If you're interested in working with me, email me at brett at wherethersmoke.co. And if you have a podcast, or you want to make one and you want it to sound awesome, look up Nick at podcastmonster.com. Our podcast cover was designed by Sam Goff with the season four remix by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by our very own Nick Jaworski. And speaking of Nick and speaking of music, Nick, what other artists were featured in the show? This week we had music from Ari De Niro, Mads, Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, Kai Angle, Blue Dot Sessions, just a little bit of Handel's Messiah, and of course, Kevin McLeod. And finally, a caveat, and perhaps a tip, that while imitating great speeches is not the route to authentic inspiration, if you are a four-year-old in a suit, it may be the route to going viral and getting to meet Ellen. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick of tired hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time.